Welcome, everybody, to another great podcast from the Crystal River Church of God. Whether you're on your way to work, on your lunch break, or even taking a jog, our prayer for you is that this helps you to find focus for living. We truly hope you enjoy this message live from CRCOG. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be at this great church who leads a region. Really, it's it's one of the greatest lighthouses in all of this area of Florida. God, I thank you, Father, for the, the way this church has extended itself to the world in missions, sending out their pastor as an ambassador to many countries. So many lives have been changed by the thousands. Innumerable lives have been changed. When you look at the when you look at the effects and the ripple effect of all that has been done here through this pastor and through all the ministers and staff at this church. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in a great place. But I ask you, Lord, today that we will see nothing but you. They will not see me or any member of this praise team or this great pastor. But, Lord, when they leave here today, they will see you high and lifted up and nothing else. And for this, I give you praise. Amen. How many of you are ready to see the Lord this morning? Amen. Uh, before, I, before I give you my title, I just want to tell you that I do have a couple of websites I just want to draw your attention to. BrianCutchell.com is where I now house all of my sermons. I've had church trainer for years. I still have that for resources for leaders and trainers. But BrianCutchell.com is, I have books on there that I only sell there and, and, and tons and tons of sermons, CDs and DVDs and downloads and MP4s and MP3s for those of you who know what that is. And uh, so a lot of resources there. I'm also getting ready to start a weekly preaching ministry online. I've never done that before other than when I pastored for 31 years or 33 years. Uh, my pastorate, we had that. But I'm getting ready to start a weekly uh, preaching, teaching ministry from the studios there at ISO every week. And so if you want to be a part of that, uh, if you just want to listen to that, or it will also be available on podcasts. It's called Hope in the Word, and it's going to start in about three weeks. So that's when the first one will be rolling out. You can go to BrianCutchell.com and just hit watch or listen, and that's all you have to do, or you can see it on Facebook, whatever. ISO.org uh, is also uh, the International School of the Word where I'm the president, and we have a lot of great teaching there for you as well. If you if you just like to stay keep up with what we're doing, you can text the word ADD to 66866. You know what that does. I'm just, there's no secret here. It puts you on my mailing list. Now, I'm not going to ask you for money, so that's not part of it, but it does put you on my mailing list, and when you get tired of seeing email coming from my office, hit unsubscribe, and it all goes away. So I'm not coming to your house for dinner. None of that's going to happen. I'm just going to send you updates, and every Sunday you'll get an episode that says, there's a new episode of Hope in the Word, so there's another sermon. So if, if you like things like that and you're, a, you're a, a word junkie like I am and you just can't get enough of God's Word, then that's another resource for you. All right. I want to speak this morning on the subject, I am ruined. Have you ever had anything ruin you before? Have you ever had your clothes ruined? Your clothes being ruined means, does it? Now, when our clothes get ruined, we think it's a bad thing, but then we start wearing those clothes in the house as loungy clothes, and we absolutely love them. We just don't wear them out in public anymore. Many times when we associate the word ruin, we think that something is lost or something is messed up. But in many cases, the word ruin refers to, I can never go back to being who I was. I am so wrecked. 
by this love affair. I've met somebody and they've ruined me. I'm just not who I used to be because now I'm in love. So in this essence this morning, we're going to talk about the presence of God that messes you up so bad you cannot go back and be who you were. You can never see yourself the way because you see him in a way you've never seen him before. Now you can never see yourself the way you used to see yourself before. Because of what I have seen, I am now ruined. I want to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture that you have probably read many times. I'm not, I don't have this on the screen. I will have every verse in a moment. But if you want to catch this with me, go to Isaiah chapter 6 in your Bible. Click on there or turn on there, however you like to get to your Bible. I want to go to Isaiah 6, and I want to read the first eight verses. That will be my outline today. So this, is, this will be an expository sermon. We're going to unpack it verse by verse by verse. So just stick with me. And uh, really, all I want to do is preach one verse because the first verse is where I'm going to spend most of my time. But the rest of it, I had to get it in there to get the rest of the story. So let me read to you this first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, I want to point out something about that word Lord. You're going to see the word Lord again, and it's spelled differently. This word Lord is L, small letters, O-R-D. When you see the Lord the next time, you're going to see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Why is it that way? Because they're actually two different words. They've been translated Lord into English, but they're two completely different Hebrew words. Anytime you see the word Lord all capitalized, it's the unpronounceable name of God. It's Y-H-V-H, what we say Jehovah or Yahweh. So it's referring to God the Father. When you see the word L-O-R-D in small letters, it's not referring to Yahweh. It's referring to Adonai, which is in the New Testament the person we call Jesus. All right? So we see Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So notice what he says here. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Adonai, sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Y-H-V-H, is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. I could preach that one line right there for the next hour. The whole earth is full of his glory. We, would, we couldn't exhaust it. I could stand here all day long and tell you how many times you've seen the glory of God all around you, but we don't have time to go there. So let's go to verse 4. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I want you to think about that word undone. That means I'm finished. I, I cannot be who I was. After seeing what I've seen, everything I've done means nothing. Every title I have means nothing. Every accomplishment I have, me, I am undone. In other words, he's saying, God, you might as well kill me because I cannot go back to the house I lived in and be the same man. I cannot be the same husband. I cannot be the same father. I cannot be, I am so wrecked by what I've seen, I am ruined. I can never go back to being me. I have to be something else besides me because I can never be who I was. 
He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen. Notice he does not say the Lord. My eyes have seen what? The King. Sometimes we think he saw God on his throne. That's not what he's looking at here. He said, I have not seen Yahweh. I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, notice this. Then one of the seraphim flew, having his hands in a live coal. He had taken the the tongs from the altar, verse 7, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. So I heard the voice of the Lord, Adonai, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go with us? Now he's saying there's not just me. Now he's using the term us. And he said, here am I, send me. And then I'm not going to read the rest of that, but then there's another voice in heaven that speaks, and he said, go tell the people this. And I will identify that person in a moment because this whole scene in chapter 6 is played out many, many times in the Bible. It's quoted several times in the Bible. If you understand the language of Isaiah 6, this this chapter in the Bible is quoted by Jesus, it's quoted by Paul, it's quoted by, it's quoted by John, it's quoted over and over and over in the Bible, and each time you see the quote, you get a new piece of the puzzle put together, so it's quite intriguing. So let's start with this. Who is the person who wrote this? Who is the person experiencing this? Who is Isaiah the prophet? Now, he's considered to be the greatest prophet And there are literary monuments made to him because he is a part of the group that we call the major prophets. Now, what is the difference in a major prophet and a minor prophet? Only one thing, how much he wrote. The only reason it's called a minor prophet is because the book is small. The only reason it's called a major prophet is because the book is big. No, it doesn't mean he's more important. doesn't mean what he said is any different. It's just the size of the book is how we determine the difference in a major prophet and a minor prophet. But of all the major prophets, he's the major major because he wrote the largest book of all of the prophets in the Bible. So Isaiah not only is the largest prophetic book in the Bible, the book that contains more prophecy, it is the most often quoted book in the entire Bible. Jesus quotes from it more than any of the other any of the, uh, of the other prophets. So the book of Isaiah gets quoted more than any other book in the Bible. So we need to know who wrote this. Here's the thing you need to understand. Isaiah was not always a prophet. Now, Daniel, who we know is a prophet, didn't begin, was not called to be a prophet until he was 62 years of age. Before then, he was a businessman. Now, he had, he had the gift of interpreting dreams, but when you see Daniel come on the scene, in Daniel chapter 1, he's 16 years of age. In Daniel chapter 2, he's 18 years of age. In Daniel chapter 3, Daniel's 21 years of age. You're reading the story of a teenager growing up as a young man. It's not until later on, he doesn't get thrown in the lion's den until he's 82. So Daniel in the lion's den is an old man. Daniel in the king's court is a teenage boy who's been turned into a eunuch, which means he can't marry. He can't have kids because because of what they've done to him. So you see this story of Daniel. But even with all of that, Daniel doesn't get called to be a prophet until he's 62. The same thing is going on with Isaiah. Isaiah is a businessman. What we know about him is this. We know he lived in Jerusalem. 
We know he was married. We know he had children. The Bible tells us all of this. We also know that his demeanor indicates that he had free reign in the king's courts and also he had become one of the best friends of the high priest. He talks to them casually. He talks to the king casually, not on official business. So it is believed that he was either a government official or he was a very wealthy businessman who would did business with the kings and the regions all around him, but something happened that ruined this businessman. Something happened that ruined this man who was close friends with the high priest. He had a moment in his life that wrecked him and ruined him so much he could never go back to that lifestyle from that point and on, from that point forward. He accepted a call to full-time ministry, and from that point forward, he went forth as a prophet of the Lord. Now, now, when you see the calling of Elijah, or the calling not of Elijah, when you see the calling of, of Isaiah, it is in chapter 6. Why would he put the calling of the prophet in chapter 6 instead of chapter 1? Why wouldn't he start out in chapter 1 with how he got called and then what happened after that? Because we're not reading his life story. Isaiah the prophet actually writes a, a prophecy that becomes the miniature Bible. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. There are 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 books of Isaiah speak of judgment. That's the Old Testament. Starting from chapter 40 on, the last 27 books of Isaiah speak of hope and promise and a future king. Now he's writing the New Testament. So when you see Isaiah writing his writings, the first five chapters of Isaiah are about the law and breaking the law. Well, what are the first five books of the Bible? It's the Torah. It's the Pentateuch. It is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So he's overlaying that. It's only in chapter 6 that he talks about a new beginning. So what happens in the sixth book of the Bible? You have the book of Joshua. What is Joshua? The new beginning for the children of Israel. We've come through the time of Moses and the law. Now it's a time of new beginning. If you go up to chapter 9 of Isaiah, he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's chapter 9 of Isaiah. Well, what happens in the ninth book of the Bible? That's the first book of Samuel. Samuel introduces who? David the king. That is when we see the king, the king appointed by God and anointed by God. And who is Jesus the king of? Out of the house and lineage of David. So we see the beginning of Messiah's rule in King David right there in the ninth chapter of Isaiah. So Isaiah is more than just a man who hears from God. He is this prophetic type and shadow of the Bible that writes the most amazing thing. So how can a businessman do that? 
how can a, a married man raising a family, running businesses, doing business with the king, what happened that changed him from a businessman? What happened that ruined him so much that he had to give all of that up and devote the rest of his life to chasing God and pursuing the ways of the Lord? Here is how his story begins. It begins in this verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, to understand what this means, you got to know who Uzziah the king is. Uzziah is not a bad king. Uzziah was one of the most popular godly kings in Israel. He reigned from the age of 16. He reigned for 52 years. He was one of their most beloved kings there in Israel. Here it is. Here's his story in 2 Chronicles 26. Uzziah was 16 years of age when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and it tells you his mother's name. But here is the problem. Uzziah the king was so important and so celebrated, he became an anointed celebrity. Now, I don't have time to preach on this, but can I tell you something? Anytime you turn an anointed person into a celebrity, you not only mess them up, you mess up the anointing that is supposed to flow through them. This stage is not about you. This stage is not about your gift. It is not about your talent. You are conduit. And the minute you forget that you are more than conduit, you are to get something from God to everybody else. And that is the only purpose. The time we turn anointed people into celebrities, we start messing with their ego, but then we also start messing with the gift that God has entrusted to flow through their lives. And here's the problem. He is so loved, he is so liked, in 52 years he can pretty much say anything and do anything. No one's going to question it. And the Bible says, and you can read this whole story, I've got it on the screen for you there, that when he was strong, his heart was what? Lifted up to his destruction. He became egotistical. He became arrogant. One of the things that detests God is showy worship. Now, I'm not talking about genuine worship. I'm talking about performance-based worship. I'm talking about something that brings attention to something besides him, and it doesn't lead you into the presence of God. So here's what happened is that this man who was this incredible king, he got arrogant because he became so popular, and he decided he would go in to the temple and offer incense to the Lord. And the priest said, no, you've been anointed to be king, but you you're not a priest. You're not a Melchizedek. A Melchizedek is a king and a priest. You are a king, but you are not a priest. If you do this, you're going to anger the Lord. He said, listen, the Lord has given me favor. I've won all my battles. I've conquered all the land. The Lord has sustained me. God won't mind. And the priests try to push him back and argue with the king. And he goes in anyway into the, into the holy place, the, the, the second chamber, the middle chamber, and he offers incense to the Lord. And when he did, 
they watched leprosy break out on his face. Now, there is a portrait of what, how God sees pride. God says, okay, I'm going to make you hide for the rest of your life. You wanted to be lifted up. You wanted to be seen. Now you can't be seen by anybody. I'm going to set it up in a way that nobody's going to want to look at you, and you're, gonna, you're not going to want anybody to look at you. He stays this way till the rest of his life. So now there is no king on the throne. His son is going to the throne vicariously in his place, but he's not the king. Now a prince is ruling the kingdom, and the king is in hiding because of leprosy. And this goes on for year after year after year until Israel is thrown into chaos, or Judah is the nation now. Judah is thrown into chaos, and Judah is discouraged, and now they don't know who the leader is. They don't know where the king is at. It looks like the throne is empty, and everybody is waiting. Have you ever been waiting? Have you ever heard of COVID? Have we ever just been waiting on the world to change, waiting on something to change, waiting just to go back to the grocery store or the mall or waiting to get out in public? Now they are in a waiting pattern because the king is now filled with leprosy. So now he has died. And they don't know what's going to happen. Now, God, you killed this king or you let this king live in leprosy until the leprosy took his life. So here is a kingdom in chaos. And here is a man of God. At this time, he's not a prophet. It's the year, all I've done is told you the first line, in the year that King Uzziah died. So now we see that he's died, and here is Isaiah, a businessman, worshiping God and saying, what's going to happen to the country that I love? And then all of a sudden, while he was worshiping at the temple, now he wasn't allowed in the inner court. He's standing outside by the brazen altar when this happens. He is worshiping from afar, but all of a sudden, he gets straight to the point. He he said, I saw the Lord. That's what he says. I, I saw something that changed me. I saw something that wrecked me. I saw the Lord. And he uses the term Adonai. And then he says later that he also saw Yahweh. So he sees Adonai and he sees Yahweh. Now that may sound confusing to a few people, but you have to see this is a pattern that happens in other scriptures as well. Psalm 110 says, my Lord, Jehovah or Yahweh said to my Lord, Adonai sit at my right hand. We all know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. David's writing this in the Old Testament. He says, my Lord, capital L-O-R-D, said to my Lord, capital L-O-R-D, sit at my right hand. Again in Psalm 8 and 9, Lord, O oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He said, Yahweh and Adonai, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So it doesn't surprise me that he is seeing Yahweh and Adonai in this vision sitting on the throne. Now listen to what he says. I saw the Lord. He says he was sitting on a throne. He was high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. Can I tell you why? 
what God's people can suffer and be steadfast in their suffering because their eyes are still on the Lord. I have seen God's people go through things in this life that were excruciating. No one would have blamed them if they would have given up, but they had their eyes fixed on the Lord and the Lord's presence got them through it. That is why that I've seen people when the whole earth around them is being shaken and yet they're unshakable. At the funeral home, unshakable. Everybody says, I know know you have a reason to give up. No, I can't give up because I want to see them again. And that's what we say in the kingdom. we We don't even mourn without hope. Yes, we mourn, but we mourn in Zion, Isaiah 54. We mourn in Zion, which means that we mourn with hope that this is not the end. There is going to to be a great reunion later on. And so God's people are unshakable because of one thing. They see God. He doesn't just see God. He sees God on his throne in heaven. Now, very few people have ever seen God on his throne. Now, listen to how he writes about it. Now, when Daniel and John see God's throne, the throne is white, now, it's really not white. It's just there was no English word to translate the word light in Hebrew. So, and, and the, the Greek and Hebrew words there that are used, it's actually a throne of light. But because they said no one's going to understand, how do you have a throne of, you can't sit on light. You can't have a throne of light. So they put the word white in there as a descriptive term for something that they really couldn't explain very well. So they see the throne of God, but notice where this throne is at. When they see this throne that we call the great white throne, we see that throne in one place. We see it in the courtroom of God. That is where the gavel comes down and God signs and seals and delivers it. That is what we're seeing in Daniel 7 and Revelation 21. But Ezekiel also saw a throne. But when Ezekiel saw a throne, he did not see a light throne. He saw a blue throne. He saw a sapphire throne. And so, so there's a white throne and there's a sapphire throne, but when you see the throne in the temple, it changes colors again. Now we see what we call the emerald throne. So we have a green throne in the temple, we have a white throne in the courtroom, and we have a blue throne that is appearing on the earth. Why is it that we're seeing all three of these thrones? Well, because the throne that governs the universe is in the courts of God, and that is where the ancient of days is seated. That is what Daniel calls him. He calls the Lord the Father. He calls the Father the Ancient of Days. He sits upon the light throne. That's why he can say, let there be light. And his glory fills the earth. And everything is created. That's why every good and perfect gift comes down from where? The Father of lights. So you see it played out over and over. The light throne is the throne of of God the father but then when you see the green throne he says the the on the green throne there is not just a part of god there is the king and a high priest so you tell me who came after the order of a melchizedek a melchizedek is someone who is a king and a high priest at the same time and that is the ministry of jesus so who is sitting on the green throne you have god the son you've got god the father on the light throne now you've got god the son that is why isaiah is not seeing god the father he is seeing the king 
king of heaven. He is seeing the king of glory. He didn't say, I saw the father. He said, I saw the king. He is high and lifted up, he said. And that is why the Lord said that he would exalt him and give him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is seeing the emerald throne, the Melchizedek throne, because he is the high priest of heaven and the king of heaven at the same time. And then the blue throne, why is that a different throne? Because who is the agent of the Godhead on this earth who moves among us, who lives inside of us? That's the Holy Spirit. The blue throne is the throne of the Holy Spirit. That is why when the glory cloud settles in a church, it's called the blue mist. Holy smoke is blue. If you've ever seen it, it's not a white mist. It's not a green mist. It's a blue mist that settles over the crowd. I've seen this in my lifetime. And it's because it is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know that white or light is the color of infinity. That means it just goes on and on and on. And it is from that infinity throne. It is from the Father's throne that gifts and judgments come down from the father of lights into your life but it is is green that is the color of life and Jesus said I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly I have come that you might have life so his throne is green symbolic of life and the Holy Spirit's throne is blue because the what is the color of the earth that we see is blue the sky is blue the water is blue tell me what the two strongest symbols of the Holy Spirit are I know there's fire I know there's there there is there is uh there's fire and there's oil but the two symbols used most often is wind and water and that is the symbol of the Holy Spirit so what do you see when you're in outer space and you look down on this earth look at that picture of earth from outer space what do I see the whole earth is full of his glory what I see is life on the land what I see is the Holy Spirit who hovered over the spirit what does the Bible say in Genesis 1 the spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. So what do I see around the water? I see the symbol of the Holy Spirit. I see the symbol of Jesus. And covering all of that are the clouds because the Bible says about the Lord, he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. In Psalm 18, he says, behold, he comes in clouds. So the clouds are the chariot of the Lord. I don't know if if this is coming together for you, but I'm telling you, you when you look down upon the earth you see the glory of the father and the glory of the son and you see the glory of the holy spirit now we've just got to one little part of this i in the year king uzziah died i saw the lord we got to that sitting on the throne that's where we're at right now now i haven't even finished half of verse one and notice what he says sitting on the throne then he said and the train of his robe filled the temple that's the next part of that. The train of his robe filled the temple. Now, unless you, unless you, in our custom, we're used to, we're used to, uh, we're a democratic society and we elect officials. And so, you know, we elect our government officials. We're not used to a monarch as other parts of the world are. But if you're, if you lived in England or other parts of the world that have kings and queens and a monarchy, you would be used to seeing this. We don't see President Trump or any of our presidents or officials come out in long robes like this. But if you lived in a country that had a king and a queen, 
on their coronation day, they would come out. This is, happens to be Queen Elizabeth, who's still alive, who still reigns. This happens to be her coronation robe the day that she was, the day that she was crowned. You see a crowned, you see a robe coming out of there. But the interesting part of this is what, you're, what I'm showing you there, if you can see where I'm pointing there, that is just the train. Here is the garment. Here is the train that follows behind her. He said the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I had to do a little research, and I found this very interesting, that the longest train on record from the Genesis Book of World Records is a girl in Romania that wanted the, she wanted to break the world's record. The train of her wedding dress is 1.8 miles long. Okay, so they stretched it out 1.8 miles so that she could break the world's record. But in order for them to see it, she had to be high and lifted up. Now, before they could show you the length of that, the higher she got, the more of her glory you could see. So they, I have it on the left here. They put her in a hot air balloon, and they took her two miles high so that everybody could see the length of the train that followed this wedding dress, and it hung down 1.8 miles. I think it was a waste of money myself, but they didn't ask me. But, but they, I'm glad I wasn't the father buying that wedding dress. I just want to stop and say that for a moment. But she wanted to break the world's record. Now, the only way you can and see this wedding dress is for them to lift her high. And the higher she went, the more of the train you can see. Now you get the picture. He says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. Not only does he say his train fills the temple, you have to look at the Hebrew word there, which is the word soul, as we would say S-U-L. It's not quite that way in Hebrew. We would say S-U-L in, in English. And the word soul does not mean train. It's a part of the train that means him. So the hem of his garment. Now, I could just stop here and just go crazy preaching about the hem of his garment, but I don't have time for that this morning. I've got to get to the rest of this. It was the hem that filled up the temple, or the translation there for temple is sanctuary. So only the hem filled the sanctuary, which means this throne is extended so high, he is so high that only the hem of his robe has covered every chair, it's covered every wall, it has covered all the floors, the sanctuary. And you know what? Let me just say this. i got to throw this in. That's why the lady who came before him with the issue of blood only had to touch the hem of his garment. And do you know that you only have to touch the hem of his garment? How do I do that? You get on your knees in his sanctuary and you're there. All you have to do, I don't have to chase him down through the crowd like she did. If I get, you have to get on your knees. That's part of the protocol. He is a king. You cannot approach him lightly. You cannot approach him without reverence. But if you get on your knees in his sanctuary, you are covered by the hem of his garment because he is high and lifted up. So the, in order to see this, he has to be lifted high, high. So you got to see this. He is the emerald throne in heaven, but it is in the sanctuary. Now, we think of sanctuaries with ceilings and lights. The Bible says there are no lights in heaven. Why? The glory of the Lamb is the light. How can the glory of the Lamb be the light of heaven? Because he is so high. How can the glory of the Lamb be the light? Because he is the centerpiece of heaven. I, wa I want you to go in your glorified imagination, and I want you to just walk down the streets of gold for just a 
second. I want you to see the river of life. I want you to see the, the city four square and high. The highest thing you see is a throne and a train that is coming down from the throne. And it's so high, you can hardly see it, but it brings light all around. If you're having problems with your faith, see him higher. If you're having problems with your worship, see him higher. I hear people say it's not in my nature to worship. I don't buy that for a second because the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The Bible says the waves clap their hands, the mountains skip like lamb, like, like rams, and the little hills like lambs, and the palm trees wave their hands, and the rocks cry out to him. You want to tell me a rock can praise, and a tree can praise, and a wave can praise, and someone made in the very image of God doesn't have it in their nature to praise? I'm not buying that. If you can't praise, get over yourself. You need to see him high and lift it up. You're not seeing him high enough. When you see him as he is, praise will be an automatic response because you're, you see the problem with people that can't praise is they're looking at the creature, not the creator. They're, looking, they're worried what people are going to think about them when they praise. If you could ever get over that, if you could ever get over yourself, if you can ever get over your pride like this king did and you'll quit seeing yourself, see him high and lift it up and his train fills the temple and that very scene will absolutely ruin your life in a good way. If you believe that, give God praise in his house this morning. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature, all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, he was here before the worlds began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth, above all treasures of the earth, there is no way to measure what he's worth. See him higher. Turn to somebody and say, you've got to see him higher. You've got to see him higher. You've got to see him higher. Now, I want to say this, and I've got to hurry because I'm running out of time here, and I've got, I haven't even gotten out of verse 1. I told you it was going to be a problem for me this morning. The rest of the verses aren't that much, but I might just have to end on verse 1 here, but I don't want to because there's a lot more like this in there. Waiting rooms must be worshiping rooms. They are waiting. Yeah, you might wait to praise, but there's a difference in praise and worship. Praise is a response for what God has done for you. Worship is a response to who he is. Worship means worth-ship. It's the worth, that, the value that you put on God. You worship because you see him as valuable. See him higher and worship will be an automatic response. And if I had more time, I would just preach that out. But we're just going to go on. Let me just say this. We are in a waiting room in this country. We're in a waiting room right now in this country, waiting on something to change. I'm just going to weigh in here, if you don't mind. People ask me how I vote. I don't mind telling you. I vote Christian. That's how I vote. I vote for people that have God. I cannot vote for anybody that does not have godly standards. I cannot vote for anybody in my, in my own conscience for people that are against things that the Bible says are wrong. And, and, and for, I, I just can't do it. I don't care what, how my grandfather voted and my father voted and all my kin folks voted. I have to vote in a way that I think is going to please the Lord because I'm responsible for that. And so that's just my way in on that. But can I tell you something, guys? 
Another election is not going to bring back the morals and ethics of America. I don't care who we elect. It's not going to bring back that. America doesn't need another election. Our politicians can't agree on anything. They are always on lockdown, and we are up to here, maybe up to here, and all the political campaigns and all of the broken promises and all the things that you see them slander from one side to another. America doesn't need another election. I do plan to vote, so I want to tell you that. But America, an an election is not going to fix us. We need an encounter. We need kingdom culture. You know what would change America? The Beatitudes would change America. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. If we could go back to Christian ethics and Christian principles, we would see God in this country the way we need to, and that's all the time I have to say about that. Verse 2, yes, we made it. I'm going to have to run fast, so keep up if you can. Above him stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and two he covered his faith, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Here's what I want to tell you about those seraphims. Two wings are the wings of reference. He puts them over his face. Two wings are the wings of humility. He puts them over his feet. Two wings are the wings of service. That's what being in the kingdom looks like. It looks like reverence. It looks like humility. And it looks like service. We need to throw in our titles for towels. And then we'll see God move. We need to lay down our uh, everything that we, our, you know what, I, I'm to a point, I thank God for this. And I, I, I love the Lord. And I thank him that when I get to come to a church, they give me armor bearers and saved seats and all this. But can I tell you something? If I never get another saved seat in my life or another saved parking lot, if I don't hold another title, I'm just so glad to be in the house. I'm just so glad to be in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God to me doesn't look like titles. The kingdom of God to me looks like service and humility and worship. It looks like reverence. And that is what these, that these seraphim are giving us the posture of worship. Now I have a whole sermon just on that verse. So if you want to get that, uh, I think it's on YouTube. If, if not, it might be on my, on my uh, BrianCutchell.com somewhere. But I have a whole sermon just on the seraphim. So I'm not going to preach that one this morning. Let's go to the next verse. Here is what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy. Say that with me. Holy, holy, holy. Say it one more time. Holy, holy, holy. He's saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Jehovah is where he's using I use the word Jehovah and Yahweh interchangeably because that's how we say that. He's using that term as the Father, is the Lord of hosts. He's over the armies. He said the whole earth is full of his glory. Now that word his is plural, which is interesting. It sounds like a singular term, but it's not. So the whole earth is full of the glory of holy, holy, holy. Why is he saying holy, holy, holy? Well, if you ask a Jewish rabbi, he will say, because that's how Jewish people emphasize something. We just repeat it. No, that's not why he's saying it. He's saying holy, holy, holy. White throne, green throne, blue throne. Holy to the Father, holy to the Son, holy to the Holy Ghost, holy to the Father. That is why I don't understand why people don't talk to the Holy Ghost. They want to talk to the Lord and talk to Jesus. The Holy Ghost is in you. He's your best friend. He's right there with you. Don't just wait on him to make you feel better. Talk to him. Ask him. Have a conversation with him. He needs to be your best friend in your life. He is the agent of God on this earth. So he's saying, holy, 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 one to the Father, one to the Son, one to the Spirit. And when he cries this out, you see, some people think that only God, when they see this verse and they don't understand it, they think God is on the throne. Where is Jesus and the Holy Spirit right there? They're there. I can prove that in Isaiah 6. Go to John. I'm not going to, I don't have time to read it, but I just want to 
I just want to reference it, but you can go look it up. John chapter 12, verse 37 through 41, John says, he did many signs and wonders and nobody believed him. He said, this is what Isaiah was talking about. And he quotes Isaiah 6 because Isaiah saw him. Isaiah saw Jesus. He is telling you that when he saw him on the throne, he was looking at Jesus on the emerald throne in the temple. And he tells us that. He is seeing Adonai on the throne, not Jehovah, not Yahweh. He's seeing Adonai. And then when you go down to the writings of of St. Luke in in Acts chapter 28, the Apostle Paul is teaching, and the Apostle Paul says this. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah when he said this. And guess what he quotes? That next verse. Remember when I finished reading verse 8 and I started reading a little bit of verse 9 and 10? That's what he quotes. He says that when he saw the son on the throne and the father said, who will go for us? He said, here am I, send me. Then the Holy Spirit said, now we want you to go here. He was seeing the blue throne and the green throne and the white throne and he was in the encounter of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Can you give God praise in his house this morning? I'm going to keep going. All of a sudden, he says, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, there's two types of glory that we see in the Bible. You have the kabod of God, which is the weight of glory. That's the glory you can feel. How many of you have ever felt the glory? I was in a prayer meeting this past Thursday. I lead a global prayer meeting every Thursday, and there's people from all over the world that sign on and and join with us. But we had about 150, maybe 200 people in the room praying, and all of a sudden, the glory of God fell in that place. We usually pray for an hour. It's it's about an hour uh, online, you know, prayer meeting, but this one went two hours. And because the last hour was people laying on the ground, and the people had been, no one, and we were practicing social distancing, so nobody had touched anybody. Nobody had laid in. Nobody walked down. It was not like that at all. The weight of the glory of God settled in that room, and before you know it, people were on their face before God weeping and crying. There were prophetic songs that were sung. There were people writing songs right there in that room. They started singing songs that we were writing down the words because prophetic songs started coming out of them. There was a point in time that you, all you could hear all over the room was a rumble of people praying in the Holy Ghost. I mean, they were just praying in the Spirit all over the room. And then another song would come forth. Another, it was like one of the most amazing things I have been a part of in a long time. It wasn't the Shekinah. We didn't see the visible cloud, but what we saw and felt was the weight, the presence of God that settled on the room. It's a glory that you can see. And that is why Habakkuk says, for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you realize that something is coming? There is a last day revival that has been prophesied. It's the final flight of the dove. It's the third time the dove flies in the Noah story. And I don't have time. I think I might have explained that one other time when I was here. The first time the dove went out, he comes back and there's no place to land. That's the Holy Spirit moving in the Old Testament. The second time he goes out, he lands on an olive branch. Olive branch is a symbol of Israel. That was a sign that the Holy Spirit, the dove, would light in Israel. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now the Holy Spirit's indwelling us. But there was a 
third flight of the dove, and this time he flew out, and he never came back again because he circled the earth. That's when the door opened and the rainbow appeared. That's going into the presence of God. There is one more move of God that is left, and I can tell you that from Joel. I can tell you that from Malachi. I can give you the Malachi scriptures in Malachi 3 going into chapter 4 where he says that we are going to go out of this earth like well, like like calf uh, Stall-fed calves is the term he uses. He said, when we leave, we're going to be so full because he says the son of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. You know what that word wing is? Him. He's going to rise. The hem of his garment is about to sweep over the world again. I'm telling you guys, the glory is coming. There is going to be a move of God that sweeps this earth unlike anything we've ever seen. You're going to see it in your lifetime, and then the rapture of the church is going to take place. It is going to be the final altar call, the last move of God, and I believe it's already begun. There's a lot of prophecies right now that... After COVID, COVID has put people on their knees. It has caused the world to pray. It has caused more people to hear the gospel than has ever heard it before on the airwaves. Revival is coming to the lens of a camera. People are, we've had so many people get saved. I have pastors who tell me that they had three times more people get saved at Easter than any Easter in their, in their history. And it's because it was all online and people were actually attending Easter service who have never attended. We are seeing something shifting. There is a reset going on right now in the kingdom. There is a realignment going on now in the kingdom. We're not gearing down. We're gearing up is what's happening. We're getting ready to be launched into a new shifting of glory and God's presence unlike anything we've ever seen. And the knowledge, because this verse is going to be fulfilled, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So what happens when the glory settles? You have a shaking and you have holy smoke that comes into the room. What happens when the glory settles? First of all, you feel the weight. But not only that, you have visible signs of either people shaking or you have movement. You have building shaking. If you talk to the people in the underground church of China, they experience this quite often where the church will shake the house church. They're having church in the middle of the night. It will shake and they'll go outside because they'll get thrown in jail if they're, if they're caught worshiping. And they'll go outside, and the broom is still laying up against the front door. No one is, it hasn't even budged. But inside, the dishes are rattling. And the neighbors can't even hear it because they're experiencing a supernatural shaking. That is the visible sign of God's glory. The posts of the door begin to shake. That is what happened in this, in this scripture. And then the house filled with smoke. Several times, I would say four times in my lifetime, I have seen the visible smoke of God. I call it holy smoke. The holy smoke of God is like a blue mist. How many of you have ever seen that before? It is like a blue mist that comes down into the building and hovers over the crowd. It's kind of like the effects of what we see now in a fog machine, but this was long before fog machines ever existed. I mean, these were like all-night prayer meeting moments. These were like Sunday night worship services, and I've actually seen the blue mist of God. The first time I saw it was as a kid. The last time I saw it was at Twin Rivers, and we had about a 1,000 people in the building that night, and every one of us saw it. And we got down on our knees and began to worship because we saw the visible glory of God. I'm, I cannot wait for Holy Smoke to come back to church. I cannot wait for the shaking of God to come back to church because what this man saw has absolutely wrecked and ruined his life. So all he could say is this, I'm finished. 
I am undone. What I have seen has ruined me. I cannot go back to being a businessman. I cannot go, I cannot pursue the dreams I've been after. I was on the pursuit of money and, 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 and the next deal and all of this, but I have seen God in such a way that I am absolutely ruined. He uses the term, I am undone, which means everything I've ever done is not important. The other thing is, he thought he was going to die. That's the reason he starts confessing, because they thought if you saw the Lord, you would die. And because he sees the Lord, he says, I've seen the King of glory. And he said, said, my eyes have seen the King of glory. I'm a man of unclean lips. The people I dwell with are unclean. He said, God, don't let me die like this. That's really what he's saying. Don't let me die like this. But instead of dying, a seraphim flew down and touched his lips, and he said, your sins are purged. And then this is where it happened the Holy Spirit began to speak the Son began to speak the Father began to speak and said who shall I send and who will go for us that come from the emerald throne that's the words Adonai is the word here all of a sudden the one on the throne said whom shall I send and who will go for us and here is what he says now notice in your Bible am I is always italicized because it's really not in the word. They had to make a sentence out of it in English, or it wouldn't have been grammatically correct. The word is, then he said, here, send me. You know what he's saying? This place has wrecked me. Here, now I have to go. I have been here, now I have to go there. Now that I have been here, I can never be the same again. Now that I've been, now that I've seen what I've seen, I can't unsee it. Now that I know what I know, I can't unknow it. I have had such a divine encounter with God that my life is going to be changed forever. I am ruined. I am wrecked. I I can never go back to being who I was. My wife is not going to know me when I walk in the door. How many of you are ready for those kind of God encounters in your life where you walk into your business place and they say, who are you? What has happened to you? And all you can say is, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. What's going to happen when you walk into the board meeting and they're going to say, man, you're not the same guy that was here last week pounding your fist on the table. What has happened to you? Why are you trying to give all this money away to missions? Why are you wanting to evangelize the world now? Why are you trying to do all of this? And you can say, oh, I know to tell you is I got so messed up by something I saw. I saw something that ruined me. It messed me up. I felt the weight of his glory. I have forever been changed. I can never be the same again. I am ruined. I am ruined. I am ruined. I am so ready for the glory to ruin God's people again. Do you know why I'm a preacher? You know why this man right here is a preacher? It isn't because it's the only thing we could have done in our life. It's because we've been ruined. We have had an encounter with God, and we cannot go back. We are, we are in hot pursuit of the King of glory. We are chasing. We are God chasers that cannot get enough of his presence. And can I tell you, when worshipers start encountering God like this, they will not.
not be able to sing long enough. They'll not be able to raise their hands long enough. They will not get enough of His glory. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they're going to keep coming to the table. They're going to be filled. They're going to keep going to the altar. They're going to keep pursuing the glory. And God is looking for churches. And this, I'm going to give one more prophecy, then I'm done, and we're going to pray. God is looking for churches who will host the glory when this move of God comes. Every church will not be open to it. Some churches are going to say it's a fad. Some are going to say they're making it up. I've seen revival movements come and go, and there are a lot of churches that resist it. They say, no, we're going to stick with our little program. It's safe. And because people are getting a little out of control, we don't want any wildfire in here. But can I tell you that God is looking for churches who are open to his presence, who are open to his glory, and churches just like Crystal River are on God's radar, and the glory of God is going to come into this house and your people are going to be changed and your community is going to be changed and you're going to be, you will never be the same again after God finishes visiting you the way he's about to visit you. I don't know how many of you are ready for the glory, but I am ready for the glory. I want to ask the prayer team to come quickly, if you will. If you'll just come and stand very quickly. I know you're going to put on your mask to be respectful of everyone and we appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much. We're respecting people in that way. So I, I want you to come right now and just get ready to pray for God's people. I want you to stand. Will you stand all over the house this morning? There are some of you, you are ready for a God encounter. You are needing a God encounter in your life. And if you're here today and you say, this sermon spoke to me, I need a change. I need something to change my life to where I cannot go back and be who I used to be. I need something to wreck me. I've been wrecked. I know this man's been wrecked, and many of you have been wrecked because you, have, you cannot go back after you've seen God's presence. If you need an encounter like that in your life, and I don't know if we can pray for everybody. If we have too many come, I'll just pray for all of you at one time. But if that's you and you're ready for an encounter of God like that, I want you to come and stand around the front, and we're going to pray for you. Would you come right now as they sing this song? Hallelujah. If you don't feel led to come, can you just begin to lift your hands all over the room? Just begin to worship as they sing this song. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Prayer team, if the Lord leads you to minister, start ministering now. Just go to them and begin to minister all over the room. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Father. Hallelujah. Prayer team, just let the Lord guide you. Just go and pray for whoever he leads you to. Just let the Lord lead you this morning. 
Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to this message. We pray that it has inspired you like never before. For more information about Crystal River Church of God, how to give, or even our upcoming events, be sure to check us out at crystalrivercog.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. And we will see you next week here at CRCOG.